Hi, I'm Nina Schacht. And I'm Jane Shake. And you're listening to Gut Talks. Double G U Double T. I'm gonna just switch this a bit around and answer you message. Why are you not allowed to say focus groups? <laughs> Um, I didn't I will know tell this you until recently. Uh, th that's, <laughs> I personally, uh, I'm not a fan of focus groups, but that's personally what I'd like to hear. Why are you not allowed? I don't really know, actually. I just got told that by somebody who was not a researcher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And apparently something has happened uh, during, while I've yes. been busy. Well, I've been busy yes. running focus groups all across the yeah. country. And Lena and I have literally spent... <laughs> Thousands of hours of our lives wasted in on focus, focus groups. groups. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they're out. And I don't know what happened. And the thing is, and there maybe we're coming back to the loop of research democratization. Because I think a thing as a seasoned researcher you're all also able to do or must be able to do is realize, okay, for which topic do I choose which method? And I think focus groups were burned, being used too much for the wrong topic. And then it's just frustrating if you have a topic which needs a one-on-one -on -one interview or which needs ethnography and you think oh I think it's cheaper if I just put 10 people in one room and chat with them for two hours you can't do anything with the results so I think that happened you know too many people thought like oh that looks good seems cheaper more time efficient let's do a focus group on topics which just doesn't belong but that's just an hypothesis I think I throw in uh, something here to, to support you in your question is it also because It's been used and overused maybe as a buzzword by people who don't really understand how to conduct the research and this is how it got burned somehow. It's really, I mean, moderating a focus, I, I, we don't call them focus groups actually, we call them group discussions. Mm -hmm. Moderating group discussions is, when I started working in this, it was the, what would you say, the king's, the queen's discipline for qualitative researchers. You don't get to do that for quite a long time yeah. and it is not easy. And you have to practice, practice, practice. And if you, yes. I mean, I think back on my first moderating, you know, my jobs doing focused group discussions, it is so embarrassing to think about <laughs> what I did to those people. But you just have to, and it's very difficult to teach. So you yes. have to spend hours and hours and hours. And you, I was very lucky that I spent a long, a lot of time um, in the middle of my career working on projects together, sometimes with French moderators and sometimes with people from the UK who have very different styles and very yes. different approaches. So it's not like there's not one way to do it. So I'm getting feedback from your clients who would come up, you know, come to me at the end of the session and say, yeah, that worked really well, but we've had really good experience doing this. Or would you try that? Um, mm -hmm. That's how you learn it. And, and also, I think maybe what burnt focus groups is there's, um, there is a, there's a kind of a trend for a while of using focus groups like some kind of quant. Yeah, you're going around the room and asking people on a scale of one to 10, what do you think about this? And then writing it on the flip chart. Hello, that's not qualitative research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe if you're not a fan of focus groups, um, you should watch one of us moderate one. <laughs> okay. Because we still Because... do it and we still get paid for it. Yes. Okay. And there is such a big difference out there in the quality of uh, workshop, moder uh, workshop, sorry, focus group moderation. There is. But that is a good okay. slip of the tongue, Nina, because you can, I mean, you can run a, what people, you know, focus group like a workshop. You could run a workshop like a focus group. I think, yes. you know, what I yeah. think of a focus group, group discussion is, 
I have the luxury of having these people, maybe not even in a room, but on my screen for two hours. And I can just like, you know, work with that. Mm -hmm. How do you recruit your participants then? <laughs> This is uh, not a nice topic. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's uh, the topic that hurts most. Let's put it that way. There is an entire industry that helps you recruit the people we talk to. So there are data banks where people are, where people do sign up and like, hey, I'm basically interested in. So that's like the standard. What's been grow, and then I have to say, throw in my criteria. You know, yeah. from um, what's growing in the last years is this that more progressive agencies try to build their own pool of different kind of users because what happens quite often in these data banks well, you have people in there who just do it to get some money and they might even fake oh yes i own this and that car but they just don't um so what's been going on is that uh trying to recruit via an own pool you know you say like you, you need very specific influencers or whatsoever trying to recruit via um, Insta or Facebook saying like hey would you like to chat with us about your <laughs> whatsoever depending on the topic that works quite well because the thing is when people hear market research or research even UX research and participate like oh my gosh that sounds so boring but the thing is we most of the time want to talk to people who are interested in that topic. And those people love talking to us because they love the topic. So you just need to find those people and putting them on the right topic, kind of. There is a lot of online recruiting going on right now with all these startup um, who do recruitment for UX, reader, uh, for, for UX research. That's, I think, the spectrum of what we're working with. It's a tough one. It's a tough one because also yes. sometimes you you call people maybe not at the right time, but then they give you a few minutes and then you're like, okay, I wish I had longer, but then they have other things going on. Like, why do you have to, they have to do that? That's if like they're the right people, right? And if they're, so, so it's tough. Like, do you have to do so much to get so little? Mm -hmm. mm. I think it, it really, I mean, when we, I'm going back again to the early zero 2000 whatever when we were working this small agency uh recruiting was something that we more or less did ourselves we would go out on the streets and put notes in people on people's cars saying we'd like to talk to you because we like your you know your car is interesting we did a lot of research for for automotive or we would ask around our friends or we would put ads in the newspaper wow yeah or we put 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 signs up in the in the university if we were looking for that age group and we would like recruit people on on the street it was very common to be stopped on the street and asked and then the whole industry changed and uh, i still work with professional recruiting agencies just selected ones very few but what i noticed there is that they always tell me that they're getting such a lot of pressure to put the prices down. So the quality cannot be good, regardless of the method. If people are not prepared to put money behind recruiting, to have enough respect to say the person is going to spend, I don't know how many hours on the telephone to convince somebody to take part in a research project, and that person should get an incentive for doing that. If we're not prepared to put money behind that, then we will get rubbish. Yeah. It's garbage in, garbage out. And the industry has to be prepared to accept that. And I think well, you as can well, ask Chad GPT. <laughs> Ouch. Oh, let's talk about silicon <laughs> participants. Yes, go on. Let's talk about them. 
let's not talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, it's interesting what you're saying. I mean, I remember a few years ago, so I was in Milan and I stood on the street, like in Duomo, I went to Duomo where you have like tourists and locals, like a mixture. And people would think that I'm a scam or that I'm I'm trying to ask for money. They just don't give you time. So what you could do, you're saying 20 years ago, even putting like a paper on someone's car or I, I can't imagine this happening today with all the scams going on. I mean, I, I get SMS sometimes and it's like, get your iPhone for $1, like things like that, you know, it's scam everywhere. How... Is it happening now? I don't know I mean, because I pay other people to do it, I must admit. But I have done it myself. Yeah. Like I've I've been, I remember uh, it was before, oh, I think before COVID is also a part topic. Before oh, COVID, yeah. um, when we did a lot more research in test studios and not online. For some projects, for specific clients who really want a specific target and it's not just we're like testing the late, the newest ad for the for a detergent or something, you know. But where I want people, specifically I do a lot of work in the fashion field and I, I have been in cities, like I remember being in Munich, it was before COVID, and uh, walking up to people on Marienplatz in Munich and saying, are you, those are really cool boots. What are you doing this evening? That's a pickup line, Jane. Yeah, exactly. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, but I was like I never 20 years that. older than them, you know. <laughs> Why not? Okay, I never did that. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yes. You, you've got guts, uh, Jane, like in, in that sense. It's like just pointing at guts. So question here. You both said you're overthink and welcome to over to the overthinkers club, right? So what's your relationship with your gut feeling? Very strong relation. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to be such a good researcher. And there we are again with reading the room. Because reading the room for me is a mix of feeling, oh, something's going on here. You know, like, of course, there might be physical signs of people shrugging or, you know, smiling or whatsoever, but something like, oh, something is going on here. And then working with that. And I need the gut feeling to realize quickly, hey, you know, there might be a little treasure chest there. I have to follow that direction or, you know, because I realized something changed in the room when talking about these kind of things. So very strong connection. I mean, yes, in, in the professional context, definitely. And it was something that really fascinated me when I first started working in the industry because I was working for this guy, a social psychologist, had his own agency, and I would go along to presentations and I'd seen the, the groups, I'd taken notes and I'd been tagged along to the interviews and done the transcribing of the interviews and he would stand up in front of the clients and say and I was like where did that come from did he make that up and then like 20 years later I'm doing it you know so yes. it's it's this yeah. and it's so difficult because I, and I feel so sorry for people starting out in the industry because I don't want to tell them that you know you just know but in in the rest of my life I'm really good at taking really big decisions I mean at taking them it doesn't mean that they're good decisions mm -hmm. I'm really bad at the little ones <laughs> Should I go to the gym first or have breakfast or shower? I take and then two hours later I'm like, what did I want to do? But I do. I've all I, I have spent my life making big decisions, big life. Yeah, you know, and it's always been from a sense of that's the only option I have is to move forwards. Just been thinking about it, and I love it how you phrase that, Jane. I remember a thing that my senior back then in my early, I don't know, it was my first or second year, told me, because the thing was like you know group discussions. Um, and my question was, how do I know when I stop asking? So you have the topic and ask like, you know, like, I don't know, how do you like it or blah, 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 whatsoever. And I was always like, because you have a specific time frame of two hours with these people, you have a lot of 
topics to cover. So how in the world do I as a moderator know, okay, there's nothing more to come. Let's move on to the next topic or that's it. And the answer of my senior was when the chart is full. And what? And it's true. And honestly, and I, I can't phrase it better because also I'm now I'm sitting in these groups and I realize, yeah, my chart is written, you know, while I have these conversations and, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm writing the chart and I realize, okay, I have all my pros and cons, you know, um, okay, let's move on. And that's also, well, you can call it gut feeling. However, well, I'm a psychologist and I actually did a lot of work on um, intuitive decision-making and the psychology is quite clear on that gut feeling is not emotional, but it's based on implicit experiences you made through your life and you can just access it uh, access it quicker than your brains so gut feeling is not like this oh i'm feeling like but it's just you can access this very quickly so um yeah when the chart is full you go to the next topic and that's gut feeling based on experience uh, on that note though i'll tell you when i started using my gut feeling i think dictation in french right the french french grammar is more complicated than like the english one or so on so I was really good, actually, at dictation, but I would just trust my gut, like, yeah, this word should have an S at the end or not. But don't ask me about the grammar. I have no idea. <laughs> it starts with the gut. It ends with the gut. It's in your gut. Gut Talks. This is the end of this segment of this episode with Nina Schacht and Jane Shake. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next one. <laughs>